by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Although structured finance asset classes around the globe are poised to recover from a tumultuous 2020, others face a bumpier, more prolonged road back. In the meantime, policymakers in the U.S. are undertaking what could be one of the most significant changes to the U.S. mortgage landscape of the past decade. I'm Aaron Johnson, and this is Moody's Talks Securitization Spotlight. In today's episode, I'll talk with my co-host, Jen Pisha, about our recently published outlooks for 2021. And then we'll bring on Yehuda Forrester of the Residential Mortgage-Backed Securities team here in New York to discuss adjustments to the U.S. qualified mortgage rules. Jen, you ready to get our inaugural podcast on the road? I am ready, and it's great to be here with you, Aaron, on our first ever episode of Securitization Spotlight. Now, taking a bird's eye view of the structured finance market, our global outlook report for 2021 points out that the COVID-19 pandemic will continue to take its toll on economies and securitizations globally. With the distribution of vaccines, recovery will take hold for many asset classes in 2021 and beyond. But for those that have been hardest hit by the pandemic, recovery will be much more gradual. And in particular, a key challenge to performance globally will be the prospect of assistance measures such as payment holidays coming to an end. And why don't you give our listeners a rundown of some of the sectors that we think are are most at risk of continued pandemic-related stresses in 2021? Sure. So the sectors that we've really highlighted that are most at risk are definitely retail and hotel-heavy CMBS and CRE CLOs. And in our ABS outlooks, we're talking about securitizations with exposures to obligors in non-food retail, lodging, leisure, restaurants, transportation, and transportation services. And then in addition to that, we've also written that a key vulnerability for SME obligors in particular will be their continued reliance on government support. Now that's true globally. And what about on the consumer side? I know we have some uh, some stuff to think about there as well. Definitely. In our U.S. consumer asset-backed securities outlook, we noted that the risks are highest in transactions backed by non-prime borrowers and other high-risk consumers. These transactions include non-prime auto ABS, less seasoned private student loan ABS, credit card ABS, and personal loan ABS. Meanwhile, over in the Asia-Pacific region, asset quality will be weak in new Chinese consumer loan ABS, where most assets in new deals will be low-quality unsecured loans. In Australia, the tenuous and uneven recovery will mean that delinquency and default rates will increase in RMBS and auto loan transactions. And I think we make, make some similar points in our European outlooks with regards to consumer collateral anyway, correct? That's right. We do make some similar points. As employment weakens in most European countries, we expect performance to suffer in many asset classes, with non-conforming and non-performing transactions being particularly vulnerable in Europe. All that said, in general, credit enhancement, cash flow diversion mechanisms, and other structural features will help to mitigate this heightened collateral performance risk globally. Our global outlook also points out that the tightening and underwriting standards will support the credit quality of new deals. And another factor we make a point to mention is the extent to which governments, lenders, and servicers across regions continue to offer COVID-19-tied payment relief, stimulus, and, and other measures, right? 
We do. And we point out that as these kinds of payment reliefs and payment holidays expire, borrowers who remain unable to service their debt will drive up defaults. On the other hand, if additional stimulus were to be enacted, that would help some delinquent borrowers to restart their payments. And in that vein, we actually recently published a report on the likely effects of President Biden's policy agenda, which includes extended COVID-related moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures and interest suspensions on federal student loans. From a credit standpoint, the impact will be sort of mixed, right? That's right, Aaron. Our report notes that as programs like that provide financially stressed households with additional liquidity to meet their financial obligations, they'll also support both lenders and various consumer-related ABS. But on the flip side, other policies unrelated to COVID, like the goal of expanding access to credit, would likely increase collateral risks for RMVS. And what Jen mentions brings us to our next segment, which is going to cover one of the most consequential developments in the U.S. mortgage landscape in recent years. And that's adjustments to the qualified mortgage rules that were developed in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. And here to talk about the implications of those changes is Yehuda Forrester, an SVP on our RMBS team. Yehuda, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So in December last year, the CFPB announced new rules related to the qualified mortgage definition under its ability to repay rules. First off, are these changes still going to happen given the recent political power shift? Well, we don't know exactly. According to the regular process for finalizing rules, everything is moving ahead as planned. The rules have been published in the Federal Register. A mandatory compliance date has been set for July of this year, and lenders will be able to start using the rules on an optional basis uh, in March. However, the CFPB, who is in charge of the rule, did put out a statement that they are exploring options for keeping the status quo and not implementing the new rules. Got it. So assuming they do actually take effect, can you give us a quick rundown of kind of the high-level takeaways on how they would affect future residential mortgage-backed securities? Sure. So the private label residential mortgage-backed security or RMBS market is really divided into two sub-markets right now. The first is the qualified mortgage or QM market, And the way that the rules will affect that market is that they will expand that market because the rules are going to allow more types of loans to fit into the qualified mortgage definition, including some with riskier profiles. The non-QM market, which right now is a hodgepodge of different types of credit quality. There's some very strong credit quality loans in the non-QM market. And there are some weaker, more non-prime loans. But that market will become more of a consistent non-prime market since the best of today's non-QM loans, those strongest non-QM loans, they will likely be eligible for QM under the new rules. Got it. Being a product of the, the 2008 financial crisis, what exactly were the qualified mortgage rules intended to do in the first place? So the qualified mortgage rules came into being in 2014 as part of the Dodd-Frank Act. And the Dodd-Frank Act was instituted, it was enacted in response to some of the mortgage market failures leading up to the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. The qualified mortgage rules are an important part of the overall ability to repay rules that Dodd-Frank enacted. Now, these ability to repay rules checked irresponsible lending by giving borrowers the right to bring lawsuits against lenders 
for not responsibly checking whether borrowers had the ability to repay their loans. Now, it also checked the irresponsible lending by allowing borrowers to sue purchasers of those loans. It's kind of a unique concept. Usually lenders have the natural incentive to make sure that borrowers have the ability to repay their loans. But Congress recognized that these inherent lender incentives were not working in cases where the lender could turn around and sell off those loans to the capital markets under the so-called originate to distribute model. So it sounds like before these rules came into effect, it was the financial system through this selling off of risk to the capital markets that was bearing the risk of borrowers not having the ability to repay rather than the lenders. That, that's right, Jen. Now, as part of those ability to repay rules, Congress also created a category of loans called the qualified mortgage. That means that if you satisfy the criteria for qualified mortgage, the law says that the lender is deemed to have complied with the ability to repay rules. What that does for lenders is that gives them legal protection, that gives them a protection from lawsuits. And also currently, QM loans are exempt from securitization risk retention rules. So issuers find QM very desirable because if they securitize pools of QM loans, they don't have to hold risk like they would for other types of securitizations. Okay. And the Dodd-Frank Act left it up to the CFPB to come up with the specific criteria for what qualifies as QM. Can you tell us what the criteria currently is? Sure. There's a few different criteria. So first, qualified mortgages cannot have certain risky products like interest-only payments or balloon payments or negative amortization or high points and fees. Also, the QM definition says that the debt-to-income ratio of the borrower must be 43% or less. And finally, the rules prescribe very particular documentation requirements to prove the borrower's income, assets, and debts. And those are included in Appendix Q to the rules. For example, self-employed borrowers must show income by two years of personal and business tax returns. Yehuda, we also talk in our report about another type of QM loan, which was intended to be temporary. Can you talk a little bit about the temporary GSE QM definition or QM patch as it's known to the market? Yes, the QM patch was intended to, to be a temporary fix that would expire in January of 2021 or when the GSEs left conservatorship, whatever came first. Basically, the, the QM patch says that any loan that's eligible for sale to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac automatically qualifies for QM. Now, these rules, the standards for the GSC is more lenient than the standards for the private market because under the QM patch, there is no DTI cap and there's no Appendix Q documentation requirements. All the loan needs to do is satisfy the GSC underwriting criteria. In the, the temporary nature of the QM patch is kind of a motivation for these changes, right? That's right. The, the primary motivation for the CFPB to change these rules is that they were concerned that many loans that are currently originated under the patch would either not be made at all or would cost materially more unless the QM definition was revised. The CFPB felt that retaining the, the DTI cap and would reduce the size of the QM market once the temporary QM patch expired 
And that would lead to a significant decline in access to responsible afford- affordable credit. And can you speak a little bit to how the, uh, the new rules as approved by the CFPB will, will meet that goal? So the new rule will replace the hard DTI bright line cap and will replace that with a more flexible pricing standard. That means that if the loan's interest rate was within a 2.25% spread over the average prime offer rate, the loan would qualify for QM. Now, the interest rate typically takes into account many types of risks on the loan, not just the DTI. So it's CFPV viewed it as a more holistic measure of risk. And it was also, they saw it as a more inclusive standard while still ensuring responsible lending. The new rule also scraps the Appendix Q requirements and replaces them with a more flexible consider and verify standard where the lender must consider the borrower's income, employment, assets, and debts and verify them using third-party records. But it's much more flexible than currently what the QM within the Appendix Q requirements are. And also the, um, the CFPB is allowing the temporary QM patch to expire. So for the most part, it seems like this added flexibility will allow lenders to qualify more types of loans as QM than they would have before the rule. What impact would the changes have on the mortgage market and as a result on collateral that that would end up in RMBS? So the QM market till now has been characterized by very high credit quality loans and very tight credit. Under the new pricing standard and the new documentation requirements, we're likely going to see an expansion of that market to more types of borrowers, some of whom will have you know, riskier credit profiles. However, this is not to say we're going to go back to the way things were before the financial crisis when lenders were making no income, no asset loans, stated income loans. The rules still require third-party documentation to prove uh, income. Got it. And, and even though we do not anticipate kind of a return to the pre-crisis practices, is there still potential for abuse under these new rules? I think there are some things that we need to watch. Since the new standard will be based on a pricing model, which is in the control of the lenders, we need to watch to see if lenders artificially mispriced loans to be able to get the benefits of the QM designation. Potentially, lenders could price loans lower than their true risk is in order to get the legal protection that those loans offer or the securitization risk retention exemption. Also, we need to watch out for underwriting standards loosening significantly. Since the new rules allow more flexibility in underwriting, we want to watch to see whether lenders are going to use much weaker quality underwriting like short-term proof of income or expanded use of bank statement underwriting, which is a more complicated type of underwriting. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Yehuda. Thanks for having me. And thanks, listeners, for joining us on the inaugural episode of Moody's Talk Securitization Spotlight. And as always, you can look at the reports that we've discussed in today's podcast on our website or in the description of the podcast. <laughs>